special bonus episode of Getting Grown is presented commercial-free thanks to Target. Target is partnering with HBCUs to support the next generation of black talent. And we're excited to be back again with Target. We've got another amazing episode for mm. you. This is an, yes. a very important and timely conversation around mm-hmm. uh, HBCUs as organizations, HBCU giving, mm-hmm. HBCU infrastructure. Um, and we have uh, some awesome panelists, some some special guests, mm-hmm. uh, Nadreo um, Njoku um, yes. of the United Negro College Fund and Professor mm-hmm. Felicia Commodore who studies higher mm-hmm. education research at Old Dominion University will be joining Jade and I. We're really going to dig into um, HBCUs. I mean, a deep dive into HBCUs mm-hmm. as institutions, not only of black culture, but of America and American higher education more specifically. And then we're going to even talk about the ways that we are supporting HBCUs currently and ways that we can sort of uh, level up that support a little bit. Um, Absolutely. You know, as, as these institutions are navigating systems that were not designed for their success. So you ready to get into it, sis? I'm ready to get into it. It's a, it's a fascinating conversation. Let's do it. Welcome back to the kitchen table, everybody. <laughs> we are excited to bring you some exclusive content. It's been you very ghetto hear. this morning. You're very ghetto. <laughs> it is the most ghetto of mornings. Okay. But we are here, and we have what we need. We have finally gotten our SHIT together, and we're going to have a conversation <laughs> that's very important. And this is very meaningful to me, okay, because yeah. we're talking about black things. We do that very often here at the kitchen table. Yes. We're talking about black things, black institutions, black people. Most specifically, we're here to talk about HBCUs. And it's homecoming season, so this is something that we do a lot. Yes. But we want to have, um, we want to sort of build out the conversation on HBCUs to talk about uh, HBCUs beyond the tailgate and, and, and the football game and all of that. There's mm-hmm. so much more to the HBCU experience, so much more to to HBCUs as institutions. And for those of you who get excited when I get into my <laughs> academic bag, honey, hold on to your wig because I'm down in the bag today. And I have some friends. Okay. Jade and I are joined by our friends, Nadrea and Felicia, two awesome, amazing scholars, also in higher education with me. There we go. We're having a party and they're here to get us together. Um, And so I'm going to have the ladies introduce themselves um, and then we'll get into the meat of the matter of why we're here. So Nadrea, please tell the people who you are. Hello, people. Hi, Nadrea <laughs> and Joku here, and I am um, the interim director for the Frederick D. Patterson Research Institute at the United Negro College Fund. I am excited to be here. I am a proud, proud graduate of Xavier University of Louisiana, yes, which is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh, family! <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jay grew up and born and raised. I am from the Seventh Ward. Yes. And um, where the St. Aug boys be walking home. Where the St. Aug boys walk home. If you're from yes. New Orleans, you know that there's something to watch. Oh, yes. <laughs> we love to see the boys walk, don't yes. we? Yes. And um, I am truly homegrown. I went to Xavier as an eighth grader uh, for oh, summer goodness. camp and went there for summer school and summer camp until I enrolled at Xavier. Excited to be here. Uh, to talk about HBCUs, and we don't have football as Avery, but we have basketball. So. Yes, you wow. do. 
and you have you have more food and delicious food in that city than most people can say that they have uh, in multiple right exactly I'm so never. you know forget about that football nobody cares about right. that and, and, and me and the are family no oh. don't go to a restaurant with me because I'm never satisfied oh you're oh okay yeah <laughs> that's good to know yeah. <laughs> we're learning. We're learning. So I much. love it. And Andrea's family, she's she's from right around the corner from my sister. And so yes. we are really, really pleased to have you here at the kitchen table. We're going to get into a little bit more New Orleans talk later. Because, yes. you know, I got to learn about some more beignets. I'm trying to hear about your favorite hot sausage spot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just need to know all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, at, look at the eyes. I love when people's eyeballs get big. Lit up like a Christmas tree child. But please. Fee, Fee, introduce Hi, yourself everyone. to the people, please. I am Felicia Commodore. I currently am an assistant professor in higher education and community college leadership programs at Old Dominion University in Virginia. And um, one of the areas that I research or do my research in is looking at um, issues of leadership, governance, and administrative practices at historically black colleges and universities, so HBCUs. And so really just looking at um, things like presidential experiences, decision making, um, how the institution actually runs and what are the resources and things that are needed so that HBCUs can continue to serve in excellence and be optimally performing institution. So really excited. I feel like I'm a big girl now. I'm at the kitchen table. Um, super excited. I'm trying right. not to get kicked off the kitchen table because, yes. you know, we work really hard to get there. So oh, never. <laughs> if anybody's going to be kicked excited. off, it's going to be me, Felicia. <laughs> never, ever kicked out of the kitchen table. All things are welcome here. This is where the family has all of our conversations. And we want to have a conversation about HBCs because HBCs have been in the news, honey. The girls mm -hmm. have been throwing their coins at the HBCUs, and we're not mad. No. We appreciate we it. We just want to make but sure the coins that we want to talk about where the coins should be going. We wanna go, we wanna go a little bit deeper down yeah. into the coin purse, okay? Yeah. And let's talk about how these <laughs> coins are being allocated and Not given that out. Coin purse. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have one of those cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> or the little rubber one with the little slit that actually does look like a vagina. The bees on it, the bees that fall off. We told you I was gonna get very black around the kitchen table. Everybody's grandma had a beaded. Everybody's grandma had a beaded coin purse with the clasp, with the alligator clasp. We need that. That's yes. cultural. We, Bring love we, we want the we want the coin purse that Mary Mary. Uh, McLeod Bethune yes. carried around mm -hmm. yes. in her purse. donations. Yes. yes. The yes. Coin purse. We're That's getting the down purse. it. We That's need... what we're going to call this episode. Mary McLeod Bethune's coin purse. Yes. <laughs> we're down in the coin purse. Yes. All right. Before we get down to the coin purse specifically, let's talk a little bit about HBCUs yes, and HBCU history. So, uh, Nadrea, get us started. Let us know, uh, for those of you who, who may not know, right? People may think that HBCUs were, you know, uh, developed under other circumstances or conditions or because people wanted to. But there were there was a specific historical condition that, uh, you know, led to the development of these institutions. And then I'm going to have Felicia kind of bring us current day, like what that context means for today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So HBCUs were started for a particular reason and circumstances because we had to. They were a specific innovation on a problem. And the problem was the fact that 
black people could not find education inside the walls of white, historically white, traditionally white institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, We have history in the Midwest where we have integrated institutions like Oberlin College, where you would find people who were former slaves enrolling in that institution and getting degrees. But in the South and the North Northeast, there were particular situations, we're very familiar with them, where we had to have our own way of educating. Mm-hmm. There are instances where creating those institutions cause rioting, they burn buildings down, they drag students out of the doors, but we have currently... 107 institutions that have survived or did survive those circumstances Mm -hmm. and we call those historically black colleges and universities Mm. i love to hear it Mm -hmm. not the other part no not the part yes but we know okay so felicia let us know what given given that that context that that storied uh origin of of hbcus what does that mean for these institutions right. today so, in the so broader landscape when we think of about education? what Nadrea shared and how and why HBCUs were founded, um, we see that that core mission of empowerment and offering access and opportunity to those who have been denied that opportunity in this country um, still flows through what they do today, right? And so HBCUs mm-hmm. not only um, service a large number of black uh, collegiate students, but they also offer access to a lot of students, like first-generation students, students from under-resourced communities who may not have the ability to pursue higher education, not because they're not capable, but because there are these systems in place that create these barriers that make it hard for them to do so. And and they do so with a belief, right, in the empowerment of African-American students, and, and that is at the core of their mission. So they don't see black bodies as a problem. Right, which is important when we're thinking about how black students go through higher Mm -hmm. education. Um, And so these institutions are creating this access, serving students well, getting students um, degrees and opportunities transform their lives, but having to do so in a society that, um, and, and I often put it this way, in the same way that black bodies and black people have to navigate an anti black society institutions, HBCUs have an institutional identity that is linked with a racial identity. So they're not just colleges, they're black colleges. And they are black colleges that have to navigate funding models, uh, governments, politics that are ultimately at their core and foundation anti-black. And so that comes into play when they are trying to get money when they are trying to lobby for funding from their state legislatures, when they are trying to get philanthropists to be interested in um, investing in them, and also in the way in that they're portrayed in the media and in general kind of conversation. And so they find themselves in this unique situation where they are these beacons of light for a lot of students and communities, but also have to navigate kind of these deficit models and frameworks that are put on them and where they're seen as less than when they are actually, in many instances, doing better than their predominantly white counterparts with black students and with these under-resourced students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, like the black community. Oh, yes. Just oh, like the yes. that sounds just like the black I mean, community. a mirror. Wow, a I mirror understood either. everything you were saying. Absolutely. So happy. The, sa- the same ways that black people... T- succeed despite uh you know 
unlivable, un, unimaginable, unfathomable conditions. Uh, these institutions have done the same. And as Felicia said, uh, HBCUs continue to outperform their predominantly white contemporaries and counterparts mm -hmm. uh, along along many metrics of, of sort of conventional institutional success. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I want to um, sort of, you know, build upon this conversation by first giving some folks some insight into how money moves within the college structure. Oh, right. Yes. So people like like colleges and organ colleges and universities are a different kind of beast, right? They're not exactly corporations and they're not exactly nonprofits, mm -hmm. even though they are. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're 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 government, uh there's government um investitures in in many respects and folks don't that's and it's tuition so there's a consumer um um element mm -hmm. so listen let's let's go let's go all the way back to the basics and think how does money move uh in 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 uh, colleges and universities if we're thinking about tuition hmm. you know if i have a that's scholarship a where does that money go <laughs> um it, it looks Go ahead. <laughs> but, and I think I, I think Felicia's gonna break down how it moves through the institution, but let me say this first. Three percent HBCUs represent three percent of all higher education and they graduate right. seventy seventeen percent of bachelor's degrees from black graduates. So they're already overproducing. And seventy percent of HBCU enrolled students are Pell Grant eligible. Mm -hmm. So Felicia's going to break down the money, but before she breaks down the money, I want everyone to know that the students that they're serving aren't necessarily capable of bringing a whole lot of money to the table. Amen. That's yes. a great point. Right. Thank so you so much. They are not necessarily the income drivers for tuition. They depend on a lot of resources, not just from the federal government, but the institutions themselves to supply the means and engine the engine to provide those students with education. So go ahead, Felicia. Yeah. So, so I'm glad you you put that context out there. So there are various, I would say, pockets when we think that. about institutions yeah. and how money moves. Um, a lot of times the way it's presented to us, right? It's like students pay money, and then that money runs the institution. That's not quite how it works, right? So there's tuition money, right? But then there's also what we call auxiliary mm -hmm. money which is money that is made from things like housing, um, having events on campus, charging people for rooms and things like that. Then you have was the kind of big um, thing in the room, that's the endowment. And the endowment is really kind of like the big piggy bank or the big savings. And, and I'm gonna get to why that gets complicated. But so you, your tuition money can come also from very many different places. So tuition money can be money that these students' families pay out of pocket or the students pay out of pocket. These monies can come from loans. Those loans can come from the federal government. Those loans can also come from private um, um, organizations like Sally May. Y'all may y'all know who Sally is. Um, and, you know, uh, banks and things like this. Then, um, as Nadrea mentioned, right, we have um, at HBCUs, there's a large population of students who are Pell Grant eligible. So these students, if you would think about it, Pell Grant is money that is provided by the government in order to support these students um, or kind of is attached to these students that goes to the institution. So the, that's federal money that follows these students 
at once they enroll in these institutions. They're supposed to go to the institution to help support what they do. Um, auxiliary money right. usually is how institutions, HBCUs or otherwise, are able to do a lot of the kind of the, the bells and whistles that we see on campus because that money's a little more fluid. Um, housing and things like that. And so that's like, if you look at when the pandemic happened, all these schools were scrambling because they weren't making money off of housing and having things on campus. Things like that. Then you have the endowment. And this is where HBCUs um, usually find the most challenge because the endowment is money that has compounded and built over time from money that has been invested, donations, money that is given to the institution. The challenge with endowments, though, is that all that money is usually not fluid. So all of that money can't be touched, or there are stipulations around the money. So when donors give money, they can say, I'm going to give money, but you can only use that money to support students who have one brown eye and red hair. And outside of that, you can't touch that money. And so um, this becomes, mm -hmm. that endowment is also the safety net. <laughs> for institutions when they don't have um, the tuition or enrollment that they needed to support the students when their auxiliary money does come, that, that nest egg um, becomes a support. HBCUs, because of the historical ways they've been underfunded and the ways in which they have, um, uh, the ways in which we have racially kind of given money, um, their endowments are much, much slimmer than their predominantly white counterparts. And so what that means is, whereas Harvard might have $300 or whatever per student, which is you throwing numbers out here, HBCU may have $20 per student to spend. And so that translates into how many faculty can we hire? What, you know, what, what can we offer? What amenities can we offer? Um, all of these things. And so when we really think about money, we got to look beyond tuition because really tuition is barely like using to keep the lights on, mm -hmm. right? Um, and HBCUs often try to keep their tuition reasonable mm -hmm. because they right. know the students right. that they're serving. And so this creates that tension. So right. essentially you'll have a PWI with a playground that has all the bells and whistles and the slides and the seesaw and all the swings and everything else, a climbing apparatus, and then you'll have an HBCU and they give them a courtyard right. with a rubber ball. And, and that playground with all the bells and whistles was able to have those bells and whistles right. because 50 years ago, there was a family <laughs> who gave, who bought that playground and paid for it. And they were like, mm -hmm. we're not going to give a Who playground to that black right. school. But we expect all the kids to be able to play. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and they pay yeah. for the they pay for the monkey bars <laughs> and charge everybody in the community yeah. admission to get the money bars. Get to the monkey bars. <laughs> so the monkey yes. bars have been making them money mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and they didn't cost them anything. Mm -hmm. um, and just to sort of give you some context of, around this conversation of endowment, like Harvard's check clocked in at like $53.2 billion this fiscal year. Billion dollars, $53 billion compared to an HBCU, which may or may not have a million dollar endowment. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's a real, that's a, that's a reality. That's not a dramatization. That, mm -hmm. that is, that is a reality. Right. You said 3 billion for Harvard. 53, 53 billion. Largest HBCU. 
One of the largest HBCU endowments is Spelman College, and they just have just over 300 mm. million. I think it rounds about 375. So what that's, I'm not going to even try to do math, but that's the, the one of the largest endowments. And you have to just go down the ladder and, for and institutions that are HBCUs mm, that right, have less right. resources to give their institutions. And endowments, endowments mean that, you know, you get more attention as well. Yeah, because mm-hmm. wealth begets mm-hmm. wealth, right? Like we remember that, right? Um, and, and, and I think, again, the important piece is, right, there's an expectation that HBCUs are to produce the same quote unquote outcomes right. with that Harvard is. And they with their rubber ball and the grass in the lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so and so what we are saying mm-hmm. is if we think about more recent investments in HBCUs in the ways of these scholarships, I have just been in my own little way on my own little soapbox saying that if we think about these scholarships, if we bring it back to this rubber ball, I mean we think about this playground analogy, right? Tuition monies is just saying, I'm going to pay for these students to get to the lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make sure the lot has anything in it. I'm literally going to pay these students way to get to the lot mm-hmm. when I could be using mm-hmm. my money to buy some monkey bars and just trick this lot out. Mm-hmm. And so if we think about this conversation and think about, you know, other other conversations we've had around change and transformation and incremental change, quick mm-hmm. and dirty change, things that people can do right quick to sort of, you know, uh, give the appearance that they have made a long term investment in, in equity and in, in, in social justice. We if we really take a hard look into the coin purse. OK, the monies are not really being distributed in ways that are going to move us past this charity and into sort of transforming the ways mm-hmm. we think about how anti-black institutions, I mean, how, how black institutions have to navigate an anti-black space. Society. A society. I'm going to go into what Takia just talked about really quick. I think the biggest thing that we need to look for when we, and I have a Twitter thread about this, like all the different donations mm-hmm that we see coming through the news. When we look at Reed Hastings and his donation of 30 million to Spelman, 30 million to Morehouse, 30 million to UNCF. And then you think about Mackenzie Scott and her pledge to give all of her wealth away. She's giving billions away at this point and a large amount of that is going to HBCUs. When you think about these donations, the big thing you want to think about is, are they donating on a restricted or unrestricted Mm -hmm. basis? Mm And so when you're talking about restricted, that's the, my eyes are brown. I got, I write with my left yeah. hand and I skip with my right. Yeah. And only you can get that only money. If I, when only if I major in like, you know, basket weaving. Right. Basket weaving or cyber, yeah. you know, security. security. Oh, yeah. But when you're talking about yeah. Mackenzie Scott gave her money on an unrestricted basis, meaning she gave them that money and they said what they would do. She did not determine for them how her wealth would be spent. Mm-hmm. And that is the key. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie is not determining. She's not saying as a, a philanthropist, I'm going to tell you how I think you should spend money. Right. She's giving the institutions the freedom to distinguish what they can best use those monies for. I think that there are obviously agreements on the transparency of that. 
you know, but there was no negotiating and no writing on a dotted line so that they could get the money. You know, it was how can we use it? And I think and I and I'll add to that another thing, because when we see these stories where people are like, you know, I think Howard just got a five million dollar gift from somebody or somebody gets another thing you need to look at is what is the giving plan over time, right? Because you you know, Mackenzie Scott gave that money, but she also gave most almost a hundred percent of it immediately, mm-hmm. right? Whereas some people will say, Oh, I'm gonna give this school a ten million dollar mm-hmm. gift mm-hmm. over thirty years. Mm-hmm. Right. So that they yes, they got a ten million dollar gift, but that gift is not available. That ten million dollars is not available. It's like giving a post dated check um, as a you. like <laughs> exactly. yeah. Why would you do that? Exactly. Or I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it with a mm-hmm. carrot. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm gonna give some brown. Mm-hmm. And let me see how y'all do. Should have been quicker than that. You know, and so right. what does that say about the uh-huh. trust of your Right. The trust that these institutions know what they need to do with mm. their money. Mm. Right. And that is a big challenge in that when we think about giving, um, and, and when I say right, navigating these anti-black sentiments, in the same way that, you know, people want, you know, we talk about reparations. Well, black people gonna go, you know, buy cool cigarettes and whatever and mm, Jordan. Right. And it's like or we could trust black people to do know what to do with the money that they need to do for their families and whatever. It's the same with black schools. Like, I wanna give them money, but I don't trust that these people know what to do with their money. And that's problematic. That is problematic. Mm. So is it often that they'll give money and then they'll split it up over time? Is that like a more common thing? Is more common in general, not just at mm-hmm. HBCUs, that when people give very large gifts like that, it is spread out over time. Because there's only probably like, what, like one percent of the 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 country mm-hmm. that has ten million dollars right, to drop right. off, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so so most people um spread it out over time. I was just gonna say I don't because I don't have much more after this. <laughs> I don't know much about this algebra. Um, I just. Because what I'm seeing with these donations a lot of times, like you said, it's this. Or they'll say, okay, well, we're going to pay the tuition of 10 students. Mm-hmm. We're going to give this money to pay the tuition of 10 students. And that's kind of like, that's where the money is going. Who is donating to these infrastructure? Like, who's do- who's donating to some of these raggedy-ass cafeterias I've seen in which, you know, they juice machines don't work and they don't have proper nutrition. But then you go across the street and the PWI has a Jamba Juice. Like, where's there's no balance there. So, so I, I don't know if it's who who is giving to that as much as or who's not distributing it properly as well. Right. So, so I think when you see things like capital improvements, right? Like that's a fancy word for like fixing mm-hmm, up the cafeteria, mm-hmm. right? And things like that. Um, a lot of that is money that is generated from either um, you might get um, a board of trustee that can go out mm-hmm. and get, you know, someone to, to invest a donor or alumni donation. But uh, some of that is just money that is generated as income from the endowment mm-hmm. because the endowment makes money. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so this is why mm-hmm. these things are important. Um, but also it becomes um when we think about who HBCUs are serving, when they do get these donations, like a McKenzie Scott donation mm-hmm. or these donations, 
they're thinking about what can have the most impact on their campus right away. And often that is helping these students mm-hmm. pay their, their debt so they right. can graduate. Right. Cause a lot of them are not, I don't say a lot. There's a number of them not graduating just because they owe money. Mm, right? right. And so what happens though, right. Is that narrative goes out, mm-hmm. right. We see the Robert Smith. I'm going to pay for all these students. So we saw that a number of schools use the McKenzie Scott donation and the cares act money to help people pay their bills. Right. So then what happens though, is then that, then that narrative is like, Oh, that's what they need. They need the students. The students need money, and so it, it creates this, like, cyclical thing. But really what happened is that school made a decision that that, you know, would, would create the most impact. So so there are people that give, right, to in unrestricted ways. I think it's very rare, though, that you get huge unrestricted gifts. And I think that's because people don't know that that, that they can Um, you know, contribute in these ways, which leads me to a conversation around like, you know, alumni giving or those of us who like, I've not even ever graduated from an HBCU, but have uh, made a donation or a gift, um, you know, to HBCU. Are there ways that folks um, like regular, regular folks like us can, can contribute to, to sort of addressing this problem? Um, either by our resources or can we make enough noise <laughs> such right. that some of this other movie, other, other money can move, move differently. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a person too. I did not graduate from HBCU, but most of my family did. And, mm-hmm. and I grew up on, um, HBCU campuses, particularly Delaware State University, go Hornets. Um, I, so I give to HBCUs and, and I think we think that we have to give these huge gifts. But your $10, $50, unrestricted, like giving to the annual fund or whatever that is, you know, if you do that four times a year, that's consistent money that's consistently coming in, which can be really helpful because it creates a flow, right? As opposed to these big hits, right? So even those little things are important. Um, For those who may not have, right, like disposable income, to be, you know, given away to anybody. Um, mm. I often say, right, and I know a lot, and there are a number of people who don't trust the the election system and all these things, but for public HBCUs specifically, but even private HBCUs because they get federal money, um, mm-hmm. it is important that these are questions we ask the people we are I'm trying to elect this. places, right? Mm-hmm. So I always right. say this, um, governors of states, um, appoint boards of trustees members for public institutions. State legislatures make budgets. We very rarely, I've been to a billion debates and maybe once have I ever heard anyone ask these candidates, how do you, what do you think about fund, the funding of HBCUs? Mm-hmm. How would you approach appointing a board member to an HBCU board? What do you see mm-hmm. the role of HBCUs in the state economy? And how are you going to support them in order that they can continue to, to perform that role? We don't ask that question, right. but then the, then we elect mm-hmm. these people into the positions of power where they get to make these decisions about how much money these schools mm-hmm. get, what kind of supports they're getting, how we're going to evaluate, quote unquote, them and hold them accountable. But we don't ask those questions before we put those people in those positions of power. And so even raising up a sink and saying those things or bringing to attention um, that there is different funding, right? A lot of that information is public knowledge. We just don't talk about it. 
Um, and so it is sometimes just making noise and asking questions that people are not asking. So if I wanted to send a donation, I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, um, but I wanted to ensure that I'm not donating to the Salvation Army of HBCUs right. where don't know we don't know where nothing's going. We don't know if this is really benefiting the students. Is that the way, what you just said, in which we should make our donations, where it will actually, where the school will actually say, and the students will actually benefit from it, and the staff and faculty and all of that? Oh, Jay, you're going to give me tricky, tricky <laughs> questions. Sorry. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I think the, right, this goes back to the do we trust institutions to know mm -hmm. what they need to do with their money? Right. And I, that's really mm -hmm. hard because we are socialized in a society that's like, I need to see a return on my investment, which is why a lot of people do mm -hmm. scholarships. Right. Because when I see the student graduate, then I feel like, OK, I know my money did what it was supposed to do. Um, and so there is a little bit of disease because you're going to give your money to the institution mm -hmm. and you're going to have to trust mm -hmm. That they're going to do with it, but right what places. I what I can say mm -hmm. you can do. I mean, there are usually at institutions you can check off. There's usually different places you can say you want your money to go. Whether that's the athletics, whether that's to you know student you know you know financial aid or things like that. So you can kind of you know say that, or you can give to the annual fund, um, and it mm -hmm. be unrestricted. But I think that doesn't mean that you can't also engage with the institution, right? So mm -hmm. there are some mm -hmm. right. privileges to being a donor. Um, you you can check in on the institution, not in a like, let me call you up, call development up and be like, what y'all doing with my $10? <laughs> I need a report every month, right? But it is like, oh, what are y'all doing? What are the things that the institution is doing? How are y'all helping students? All of these things. Um, I know when I donate to institutions, I usually now get their like alumni magazine. I get little letters from the president when things are come, you know, happening. Mm -hmm. And so there is a way to stay engaged and still ask questions. But I do think we, it's hard, but we have to believe mm -hmm. that these institutions know and their leadership knows what to do um, with, the, with our, with our mm -hmm. money and with what they need to do for their students. Um, and I think that you can sometimes kind of, you can check the track record of an institution and how they, how you've mm -hmm. seen them grow over time with donations and things like that and, and mm -hmm. build trust. But um, yeah, it's a little tricky. I don't know. You can't, you can't trace your $10. Like you're not going. <laughs> no, that's real. That's real. <laughs> no, I do think social media and the internet and, you know, just, I think there is a culture at, at universities where, where folks are are open to, yeah. to engaging with the public around around certain things, mm -hmm. uh, especially with respect to sort of improving institutional conditions. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, my work deals directly with uh, faculty hiring, faculty development, policy reform, um, those kinds of things. And um, those are that's really sort of like the underbelly of because mm -hmm. <laughs> people always always take mm -hmm. that kind of stuff for granted mm -hmm. like you know they take for granted that that like all the money that's required in sort of uh ensuring that college faculty because what we don't understand like you know when you go and get your phd in physics you're taught everything you need to know about physics but you're not really always trained around how to manage a classroom or how right. to you know you know how to make sure that 
you know, you are not being uh, <laughs> offensive or, you know, biased Social or <laughs> a bigot, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so like, you know, there's, there are some things and I mean, you know, and then there are ways that, you know, yeah. supremacy and institutionalized racism have infiltrated these systems and, and, and now need to be reformed. And so mm-hmm. there's funding around that as well. And so what we've been seeing in the reform space is that institution will have alum to sort of ask diversity kind of questions mm-hmm. around, you know, what are what are the number uh, of, of, of faculty of color that you've hired in the last 10 years? Um, and then you can sort of dig into why or why not. And that can sort of, you know, uh, elevate some things on, on some uh, agendas at the institutional level. Um, and also sort of like, you know, we live in an age of op-eds and think pieces and things like that. If we've been following and paying attention to the protests and things that are going on right now at Howard, mm-hmm. you know, when 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 there are needs and, and the you know, the squeaky <laughs> wheels are squeaking, right? And so if we, we don't really have to look that far to really see where, uh, you know, resources uh, can, can be used at, at these institutions. Um, so I think we do we might have to do a little bit of digging or mm-hmm. be a little bit of be yeah. a bit more intentional in terms of you know the ways in which we want to invest but i definitely mm-hmm. think that there is a will and a way but i think that it really starts first with having a conversation and and saying what it is right and yeah. so that's what I wanted to do here. We don't want to say right. that scholarships are not important or not useful no. or that we don't appreciate them. No. We absolutely need folks to continue to invest in our students. But I'm saying that if we don't continue to invest in our institutions in like manner, mm-hmm. right. then the scales because, will continue to be unbalanced. Because they've been imbalanced um, so far that... You know, we're we're putting Absolutely. money into students and that's great, but we need like it's not either or, right? It's both and we need to put money in the students, but it's these institutions both, both again are being asked to carry a lion's share. Well not I mean asked, they're offering to to carry a lion's share of work that these other well endowed institutions won't do, right? And produce at the same rate, though mm-hmm. they're they're working with barriers and trying to jump and leap over barriers that have compounded over time. And so now we're like, oh, let's give $40 billion to HBCUs. Well, yeah, but let's look at what happened when we didn't give them $40 billion 60 years ago, right? Like, what is that now? Like, we, we right. it's compounded over time. Right. And now they're trying to play catch up. Um, but mm-hmm. we need the, the resources to give them that that undergirding so that st- we if we had the money mm-hmm. for the infrastructure and the endowment we wouldn't have to make tuition the price that is where we have to give students scholarships right, right? like it's the right yeah. um so it's, it's right yeah right, right. we can right. keep so the prices both lower and we can invest in people students. but we can also mm-hmm. invest um, in systems and mm-hmm. in communities right in the same way we do with people we need to give people jobs but we also need to give people good housing and health care and all these things so we need to give students money to go to school but we need to also be able to make food. sure that they have the resources they need in order to flourish at those schools yes so you're decent saying food. so let me understand this um, let me make sure i understood this properly if I don't, ha- if I'm not a person who has extra money to donate to an HBCU directly, the best way for me to help support, one of the best ways, should I say, for me to help support that HBCUs in general would be speaking 
on a governmental level is what you're saying, like bringing up some of those issues there. How else can we who don't have extra money to donate immediately yeah, so support I think there's HBCUs. that way there's just general like advocacy right and not and not in a like you got to go out there mm-hmm. and rally people but just lifting up the great things that hbcs are doing because the media often only highlights when they're not Absolutely. doing good things right or they focus on a subset of institutions mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, ones that they're most comfortable with. Right. And so right. lifting up when, you know, I, I right. know you from Houston, the, the lifting up when Prairie View is doing something good or Texas Southern is doing something good. L- lifting up, you know, mm-hmm. um, when they're doing things that aren't homecoming and marching bands, even though we love all of that. Right. Right. Yeah, but that's very one 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 tunnel, one vision. One small thing. Yeah, one small aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so pre- using using whatever platform you have, whether that's your social media, um, mm-hmm. you know, doing things like you all are doing with the show, just giving them platform and giving opportunity for the schools to mm-hmm. speak for themselves, right? <laughs> and to be able to show like all things they're doing, which can attract the attention Mm-hmm. Absolutely. of people that can so invest in them. Telling the whole story. Um, so I think, so I think having this conversation about thinking, right. contextualizing HBCUs, like, you know, thinking about HBCUs are doing so well, mm-hmm. but they're doing so well despite all of these things. Mm-hmm. People don't want to talk about all of the things that HBCUs mm-hmm. have had to overcome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how they are overcoming those things and producing despite, you know, helping to change the narrative is really what uh, you know, is going to make the biggest difference because we have got to, like uh, Felicia said, elevate uh, the narrative and get people to really understand the whole story so that mm-hmm. investors, folks with the money, will know where to put it. Yes. That's 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 it right there. And, and giving them the opportunity sure. to tell their For story sure. because there have been people who yes. feel that they have to become the, you know... Savior. Um, speaker right. box and savior for HBCUs that don't work at them, that aren't authentically connected to them, right? Um, and so they decide what the story of these schools is going to be. And I think, again, empowering um, uh, the the people who are doing the work and on the campuses, um, giving them the opportunity to tell their own story is also really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being careful not to tell their story for them but to hand them a microphone. Yes. Yeah. And I a stage that. and mm-hmm. a hand up mm-hmm. onto the stage as opposed yeah. to, you know, well, but I yeah, want to donate and get the juice machine fixed. At We've the... got to do something. Cause I keep hearing yeah, about this juice. The children need okay. Juice. The and children children need that's so what I much. know right now. And I say, how can I get you all a new juice machine? <laughs> like what? <laughs> I really want to know how to do that. <laughs> So I'm like, I, look, I'm sure if you called the I was school about to say, up, okay, I'm not enough. lying. I'm it was sure. like, yeah. I want to get a new juice machine. Or at least <laughs> somebody in there to fix it. I got a million niggas I know who fix shit. I'm fine <laughs> with getting the juice machine fixed for you all. We have yeah, got I'm to telling you, something. people people make some of the stuff hard nails. If you call somebody over at the development or somebody to. and be like, I want, what can I we do like about this? Immediately following this episode. <laughs> like and I'm going to help. report back, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to help. I would like to I help. help. I would Tell me like what you help. need for the juice machine. The children need the juice. I heard they ain't got no juice. And yes. they <laughs> so platform matters. Platform matters and yes. having having um 
you know, and y'all talk, y'all laugh at my microphone, but the message just needs to be it's amplified. True. amplified. <laughs> we must amplify the message. If we have okay. a million microphones across we need to go America, we might be able to get some with shit our done. microphone, and we need to get some things done. Um, well, yeah, we just want to have a broader conversation, right? Because as as you said, Felicia, it's homecoming season, and we love to see it. It's a beautiful yeah. time. Um, of coming together that that we've been robbed of in yes. recent years and times. And so it's awesome to see folks reconnecting. It's awesome to kind of celebrate tradition in yeah. the ways that we know, um, you know, feed our spirits. Um, but we, we also need to understand that, that um, you know, it's there are some, in order for us to continue to sustain these very important cultural um, traditions, we have got to make sure that the house is remains standing. Absolutely. Um, and so it was really important to me that beyond a conversation about homecoming, mm-hmm. we have a broader conversation about HBCUs, all of the wonderful many things that they have done mm-hmm. um, and ways that they have invested uh, and, and built into the, the bedrock of excellence that black yeah. people stand on. Um, uh, in this country. You know, in this like, world globally but in yeah, this country specifically in, hbcus have been the engine Period. of transformative education in higher yeah. education we Easily. just have not put them up as models of success but everything Absolutely. we talking about stuff now that hbcus do are doing for been decades. doing mm-hmm. been doing right? and um, i say that's some as someone in the reform space right who 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 engages with folks whose minds are blown by these strategies, right? And it's like, girl, we've been doing this at Big Mama's house for four <laughs> generations, and you are just now getting here to the bus. Mm-hmm. You you're late. Late. I mean, but okay. So I have, we have one more to... question. Go for <laughs> it, Felicia. Yes, you mine. grew up on hbcu campuses you said you grew up around hbcu campuses you have a deep rooted foundation um from childhood mm-hmm. what is one of your favorite memories and or stories <laughs> that that is involved with an hbcu it can be from any time in your life that's great so we will will we'll bypass the things that happened when i was an undergrad because okay is, oh my that's my business but that's okay. That's it, Tabitha Brown. Oh, family friendly version. But I, um, come on. Now I want to know the other stuff. No, go we, ahead. We talk, not but not, uh, we talk about that after the after we leave the table. So, but um, I had a good time. <laughs> but um, for um, me, so this is one of my my favorite memories. So my um, my aunt, my mom's sister worked in the admissions office at Delaware State University. And so, um, and my sister attended Delaware State University. And so in the summer, um, because, you know, black parents don't be hiring babysitters, they just find people to watch their kids. So mm-hmm. <laughs> just my sister mm-hmm. would be going to school in the summer. Um, and so my mom worked, my dad worked, my other sister was working. Um, and so, my aunt would watch me. My sister would bring me to campus and drop mm-hmm. me off at my aunt's office. I don't know if this was legal mm-hmm. or not, but we're just going to go with it. She's retired, <laughs> so it doesn't matter now. Come on. But, take Felicia to work there. Yes. Yes. So I would go to her office. And so what she would do 
she would set up this little desk for me. I was about seven or eight. She'd set up a little oh desk for me and I would be her secretary. And I had a, I had a little phone. That phone wasn't connected to nothing, but I thought it was. And so <laughs> I was, I would call her and give her messages that didn't exist and take notes for her. And she let me make copies on the copy machine. And so I was, I was the secretary in the admissions office. Um, <laughs> I love, that. I love that so um, much. And so that's one of my favorite memories of being on campus and being being in that office. Um, uh, and which is so foundational. Look at the age. That's such a transitional yeah. and like you know, really like an age where stuff really starts to yeah. set in. So I know that had to have an impact on you. Look at your love and your knowledge that so, you have. Yeah, I tell to... people I just, they put me on college campus and I refuse to leave. And so <laughs> haven't left. <laughs> I love it. Well. So, yeah, that's <laughs> one of my favorite memories. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. We're so grateful for you. And and just a disclaimer, uh Nadrea had to go take care of very important she's business. An important yes, she's um, she's a very, she's important, very person important person there. So we appreciate uh her for joining us for the time that she was able to absolutely. and and will absolutely include her information and she's already emailed me and said she's going to have to come back to the table so she oh, can yeah. talk about. She wants to talk very loudly about Louisiana <laughs> with you. Oh yes. <laughs> and and we will have a, a t- we will have a high time. It will be amazing. Um but yeah, I I'm grateful to to all of you, to Nadrea, to to Felicia. Uh, very, very grateful because this is something that has important been important to me. And as y'all know, for the last couple of years, I've been on my change mm-hmm. versus transformation, cheap change versus expensive change, <laughs> uh, sort of sort of kick for the last few uh, few years. And this is something that is really important to me uh, because we have got to start to move yeah. the needle, right? Absolutely. And we've got to start. We got to stop making these little adjustments mm-hmm. when we really need to just blow the whole thing up and start. And thank you both Absolutely. for and using your platform to talk about these things because everybody doesn't necessarily do that. And so um, I, I appreciate you kind of, again, curating, a, using the stage you have to, to help bring these institutions to light. I mean, we trying to do our little part here you know, in just, whatever little ways that we can. And I'm um, grateful for you all because I'm not in a academic space, as everyone knows. I say that probably every other episode. <laughs> and But I'm grateful because I, I might not otherwise be having some of these conversations in all honesty. So it's nice to be able to bring these to light so that maybe I can go forward and share it with some of my other community who might not be having these conversations and we can extend this hands across America. <laughs> Shout out to my ladies, babies. <laughs> hands across though. black with America. With oh, play, oh, maybe, oh, yeah, all just of the German, <laughs> okay. across America. That's where we are. Because everybody okay. don't know how to sneeze and We're cough. We're not publicly. touching any hands. Mm, you right. Won't. But you right. But you know what but I, I mean. mean. Even as a mom, like you know, we don't That's know where right. ASAP know what's going to end up we in don't. the world. It's very important that we start to think about these things. And I think it's important now because, thankfully, hasn't always been the case where Black folks have had the resources and the platform Absolutely. to sort of do the things that we do right now. Absolutely. And so. I just think it would be so amazing. Like, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce being the massive moguls that they are mm-hmm. in their own right, the fact that they are drumming up attention for HBCUs is amazing. It is. And I just want to build upon that momentum and just sort of say, hey, 
while or, while y'all are throwing your money at the student, don't forget the, student. Don't forget because, the juice machine. Don't forget the juice machine. These people have don't enough wealth yeah. to do There's both. so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and they I do. and I would and I believe, especially in the way uh, you know, black folks, you know, I believe it's just a matter of not having yeah. access to the information. Mm-hmm. I believe in yes, my heart absolutely. that if folks understood how these things, how how inequity and and what we really are getting a a, a bigger understanding of how white folks and white supremacy has been able to operate mm-hmm. in institutional ways. Absolutely. We think that it has been limited to Jim Crow's and buses, but we have to understand that it is in laws and policies and systems and structures that seeps into all aspects of our lives, including Absolutely. education. Jim, yeah. Jim Crow had kids Hell yeah. and built towns okay. Absolutely. and okay. built communities yes, indeed. that continued to replicate themselves. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so we love to see it. So like recently, Will Packer announced that he's He's uh, creating a yeah. new amphitheater there at FAMU. Yes. That's the kind of that's the kind of energy that that we that we're talking. I'm about. I'm getting the juice machine fixed at yeah. Howard. <laughs> all of these. And look, and look, Jay, don't feel like you got to fix the juice machine yourself. You you better call Dole or somebody. Oh, you think I wasn't? No, that was gonna be the next step. I'm not dumb, but I'm getting that motherfucking juice machine fixed. Sorry, Target. Somebody. <laughs> Coca-Cola yes. and say, we got and to call need, McDonald's. And I would like uh, Jade of all jades on, yes. the, on the juice machine. I'm on, <laughs> now, very, very. I will say this. this When I'm rich, when, okay? When. Um, Not yet rich, but the, on my way. But on my way, okay? <laughs> We're on our way there, Lauren Hill style. Um, I... <laughs> I pl- I want to make a plan and partner up with some of some of these rich people in America sure. to specifically since culinary is 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 my love right I want you I want the babies to learn I want your books to be new I want whatever you need I want the teachers to be paid properly so that they're not leaving and having to go find other things to take care of their families but I want these children to have proper nutrition and I see how they do at PWIs. And I think that's such an important aspect. I know that's not mm-hmm. everything, but it's important to me. And so I would like to create some sort of system in which I go across all, every HBCU across America and Absolutely. we we fix the infrastructure of the of the nutritional, of the I cafeteria. Love this, I would love to make that a plan. I would love I to mean, do that. And that us, would be my contribution. Yes. If all of us found our own unique ways to make contributions to the change purse. We could change the world. Word. That's what I'm trying to say. Word. And it's and, and 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 it will be scholarships and books and buildings. It will be scholarships and dormitories and library libraries. It will be scholarships and and faculty lines. I want to mm-hmm. you know let's invest in making sure that we're hiring. You know, have we ha, has your department, the department that you graduated from, in your institution, have they hired a new faculty person in the last twelve mm. years? Mm. What color is that person? Mm. These are the kinds of questions yeah. that we need to be asking. I mean, not just waiting on other people to to sort of to ask and do. And, and so that's all we yeah. were hoping and, to and open I'll up in this, this conversation. And I say this too because I think sometimes we get caught up, and I'm not going to get into the the PWI HBC thing because mm-hmm. ain't nobody got mm-hmm. time for that silliness. But, oh, girl. I know. but I think sometimes we get kind of what, you know, I ain't go there. I ain't go to school. Why should I get yeah. my name? What I tell people, particularly us, is, um, mm-hmm. particularly black folks, 
you can't sit in front of me and tell me that you are pro-black, that you you believe in supporting black people, that you believe in the power of, of black folks and communities, and then tell me you don't see the benefit or value in investing in these institutions. Not just the students, sure. but the institutions. Because mm-hmm. these institutions don't just serve as places of higher learning. They're community centers. They sure. are sanctuaries for people mm-hmm. in communities where they may be unsafe or feel unsafe uh, as black people. They mm-hmm. are political uh, um, places of political uh, coordination and planning and activism. And so if you tell me that you believe in black communities, then I have to believe that you believe in the investment in HBCUs. Mm. I tell people mm. all the time, I learned to swim at an HBCU. I went to summer programs at HBCUs. The, mm-hmm. that, those were, that campus literally was a place for me as a black kid to go and learn things and, and mm-hmm. be, develop into a certain type of young black adult. So it's not mm-hmm. even just about the students that go there, but the communities that these institutes Absolutely. serve, the people that work there, the, 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 yeah. the, the cafeteria workers, every, these, these are mm-hmm. engines of black collective economics if we think about it in that way right Mm -hmm. and so you know we really i really encourage if you say you support black people and black communities and black empowerment then you should be investing in hbcus and in whatever way that is possible for you to do that absolutely invest in the places for your children to go in the future you want it to be the best possible right not not just your kids our kids our kids our kids whoever you may not decide to have kids but there's gonna be a black child who's gonna grow up into an adult and your ass is gonna get old and you're gonna make need to make sure that they're good so we all have a responsibility we all have um and and, then it's very it's very important i mean and i'm we're not going to get into it but i i would like to say since i have the microphone amen (laughs) that uh i think that the whole hbcu versus pwi debate is such a distraction yeah i think that it wastes our time and our resources and our energy yeah because the fact of the matter is you know Black people and black institutions are all situated in this white system that was not designed for us to success exactly. to succeed. And it's just a matter of us navigating that that unhealthy toxic system. We all have to do it in our own way. And we all didn't go about it in the same way. Absolutely. And if your path brought you through an HBCU, then God bless you. Mm-hmm. If if your path did not bring you through an HBCU, then God bless you. We still all on the other side of this thing trying to figure out how to stay alive Ooh, in America. Said. Absolutely. And so and so I wish, and I mean, you know, I'm I'm all for a good, healthy rivalry. I'm not opposed, you know. But I just feel like when we get down into the trenches of Twitter arguing and fussing over who had the best freshman year experience girl it's like at the end of the day at the end of the day sis okay right. we all are paying the same mortgages we we're okay. all trying to stay alive so girl everybody okay, got a phone girl, bill like fine. okay like, god bless we, we are all it, we all need to be fighting to, together against the system instead of fighting mm-hmm. each other over mm-hmm. something that really don't <laughs> It's silly. I'm going to say it is silly. It's silly. And we we don't have time for silliness. (laughs) We don't. We don't. Because the world is on fire. And we got to put it out.
But listen, Felicia, we love you. Love you, you so too. much, Nadrea. We love you too, Nadrea. Thank you. Thank you so to you much. both for taking time out of your day yeah, sitting with us here. Yeah, this is absolutely the highlight Thank of you my to Target. Oh, <laughs> the highlight of mine too, honestly. All right. Yeah, and I mean, thank you. Thank you for allowing us. And, and Jay, thank you for allowing us to get down in our yeah. academic bag. No, I like getting us. down there with you all. I'm going to come down well, too. This, it, I, 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 I want to say, Jay, about everything I do at I, I take the posture of Erica Badu, that scholar, street scholar. Yes. And that mm-hmm. um, when she says, street what scholar. good do your words do if they can't understand you? And so at the end of the yeah. day, no, nothing we do makes means anything if nobody can understand what we're talking about. That, Absolutely. that is that is actual and factual actually because yes <laughs> and when people get up there and get to posture i'm like you're not yes. doing a service not. to the community you're not you're <laughs> not you're not, you're not. so i appreciate you I all got. for breaking this down yes. um, to the point where 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 we can understand in layman's terms that uh, the history of HBCU is the history Good. of black people in this country and Period. the issues that we face within this country have continued to face um this, that's what all of that is rooted in and why a lot of times we can't get the proper support. But we're not here to talk that's about it. the negative about it. We, Like Kia said, we're here to talk about how we can assist mm-hmm. because this is our community. This yeah, is part of sure. our community. So I'm super grateful to you and Nadrea for coming through and helping to break that down a little bit. And thank you to Target for thank sponsoring Target. this ad-free episode, bonus episode what? of Getting Grown. We're super grateful for that. For and sure. Felicia, we're gonna have Black to you have measure. to come back yeah, to the I'm kitchen here. table. I am already, I'm, I'm ready to talk. I have a pet peeve ready. When yes. You- oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you coming back then? <laughs> it's happening. It's going down. It's going down. Yeah. So. Oh, so. and another thing you all have hit me too that I've realized thanks to Kia, um, is that. This big academia world that, you know, a lot of us may have initially been intimidated by. um, A lot of you hoes are ratchet, I've realized. Very much. You know what I'm saying? Y'all are some, and I love it. I mean that with all the love. You gotta come to a conference, Jay. I'm on the... Oh, I'm coming, and I'm gonna lead some shit, too. Jade at the Ash campaign. So you can see Bring us me See, I'll wear a blazer. Whatever y'all need me to do. <laughs> we don't even we don't wear blazers. Blazer. Okay. Well, I might wear a blazer, but I'm a different kind Yes, of. well, you know, Felicia's going to come to the function in a brooch. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Felicia is Auntie Supreme, and I love her. Brooch, honey. But I can get I down with my brooch, she please. Is, <laughs> she's in charge of the brooch department. If we're looking for someone to manage... The department for brooches. Call Dr. Commodore. (laughs) Dr. Commodore is on brooch detail. She's on brooch detail every time. All right, y'all. Thank y'all. Yes. Thank you so much. Continue to keep it locked here at the kitchen table and and moisturize your mind by minding the business that's yours. You want to moisturize your inside by drinking the Lord's water. It is available to us all, hopefully. And uh, you always want to moisturize your skin, honey, because it's getting chilly out there Mm. and your black will crack if it's dry. Bye. Bye.